Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Know Your Personnel podcast. Please remember to leave us a rating on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We are on all major podcast apps. Remember to share this with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our first guest. Let's jump in. Welcome to the very first uh, coaching basketball podcast with Nick Sinato. Uh, I'm here with uh, basketball royalty, um, a legend, one of my mentors, uh, Tom Orlich. Uh, Coach Orlich, thank you very much for joining us here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, just be careful about using the word legend and royalty. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate you being modest, but we're going to go through some of the stuff. And if anyone out there wants to uh, dispute me on that, I'll, I have some numbers here. Let's go through those. First, your first head coaching was in 1975. By my math, we're over 40 years in the coaching business. Uh, every year, full-time, most of those years as a head coach. That in itself is legendary. 832 uh, varsity wins, which is, according to Max Preps, top five all-time within California high school basketball coaches. Um, you have coached at two places, uh, South Lake Tahoe High School, where you won two state championships, and Clovis West High School, uh, where you won uh, numerous league and CIF championships. Uh, also, you have been the head coach of the of the McDonald's All-American game, uh, which had Shaquille O'Neal, uh, which is uh, obviously would have been really fun to coach and a big name that you got to work with. Currently, you are the uh, assistant at Stanford University under your former player, uh, another great player in his own right, Jared Haas. Uh, so uh, these are all terrific accolades that you have. Um, and I think another number that's worth saying, uh, over 30 years married, uh, to Kelly, correct? How many years? Uh, I think it's 31. 31 yeah. years. So yeah. that in itself is, is a huge accomplishment, maybe even uh, as impressive, if not more so than the rest. <laughs> um, so let's start right from the beginning. Uh, your head coaching job started in 1975 at South Lake Tahoe. How did you get into coaching? Well, um, first of all, uh, my father was a coach. And so uh, I got uh, inducted really early. So, you know, when I, since I was five, I was at all the games, all the practices. I hung out in the gym. And so, you know, it, and then, you know, in high school and college, I, I played in junior college. And then uh, when I got to Cal, uh, I uh, transferred there from JC. And uh, I had the opportunity to be on the staff. And there was only a head coach, two assistants, no secretary, no ops, no video, and there nothing. <laughs> And so, and it was me. And so I was able to actually start coaching in 1972, uh, the Cal Junior Varsity team. And I was on the floor with the Cal Varsity team. So uh, at that time, it was the Pac-8. And uh, so that's when I really started coaching, uh, really got developed a philosophy uh, and took a lot of that to my first job at South Tahoe High School. So, um you know, uh, that, that's basically how I got started. But, um, you know, uh, coaching is, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a profession that you need to really uh, ask yourself why you're in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I, I didn't come in here with any notes. Everything's off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, everybody's in the profession for a different reason. And uh, I think that when you develop your philosophy and everything you do on the court and with the kids, it pretty much resonates back to why you're doing it. And I did it because I really idolized my father and I loved watching him, what he did. And uh, things were a lot different back there in the fifties. And uh, so, you know, it, 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 and then into the sixties and so forth. And I've seen a lot of change in the game, but uh, I got into it. Because I really, I, I, I really wanted to help kids, and mm -hmm. I thought there was no other way to do it and to impact lives. Although I never used that wordage at the time, but I just wanted to help them and, and impart stuff, and and I loved the game, and so that's why I got into it. And I think my greatest uh, blessing in life, and I had a lot of them, was uh, being a high school coach. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I think it's one of the most noblest professions on earth is being not just a teacher, but a coach. And uh, I was truly blessed to and, uh, go through it for such a long period of time. I agree. I agree. Um, now, when you got to South Lake Tahoe in 75, you, you were uh, right out of college, right off of coaching college. And how did you build that program? How did you start with building culture right from when you got to a brand new program? 
Well, you know, it's funny uh, when you talk culture, um, it's taken on so many different, first of all, back then, the, I don't even think Webster invented the word, <laughs> you know, it was just something we did. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now I'll walk into our office at Stanford and there's a staff of eight or nine and they, they, they give you a rattle off all these great answers that they've Googled and that <laughs> they have. And uh, I don't think you really understand it till you're a head coach and mm-hmm. uh, until you're actually under fire and, and, you know, you're suffering the slings and arrows of, of everything out there. And, but um, for me, uh, a lot of it was impacted upon uh, the way I was raised. And uh, Mm -hmm. the, if you ask any of my players uh, through South Tahoe, when I started back there and to this day, they they can rattle off right away what we did and it was to be loyal. And I I thought loyalty was very important. And I thought that uh, having somebody's back and treating, you know, we talk family, but really, family's really loyalty and uh that's what i stressed in having somebody's back and being there for them uh through good and bad and then being honest and uh, i think if you really care about somebody you're honest with them Mm -hmm. and i think if you're dishonest you're never going to be real you're never going to be true and your message and your teaching will never resonate and so loyalty and honesty were two big things with me along with working as possibly as hard as you could Mm -hmm. and uh I think you look back, uh, it, and the game's changed a lot, and so is our culture. Uh, loyalty is no longer a, uh, a huge component of what we do. But that was very important to me. That was the way I was brought up. Uh, it was stressed to me by all my coaches, and it was just a way of life and a very fabric of what went on. And uh, But I think, again, it goes back to why you coach. And, you know, if you're in it for wins, you know, there's a lot of kids and a lot of people out there who – uh, want to be in the final four and, mm-hmm. uh, the, or they want, they want recognition and satisfy their ego, uh, or they want to be the best and, uh, they'll say along with that to impact lives. But, you know, uh, but really, uh, the, the people that really impact lives are the people that are the teachers at, uh, the junior high and the elementary and the high school level. Those are the ones that truly impact lives. It's interesting to hear you say after uh, 40 plus years, 45 years in the business, uh, you know, our listeners are going to be real interested in in your, your secrets and what makes you, you know, the the coach that you are. And you go back to how you were raised and you go back to loyalty, honesty, and hard work. Um, You know, those aren't big secrets. Those aren't something that you could find maybe at a coaching clinic or reading a book. Those are basic life fundamentals that will last you in any business that you're in, but especially in our business when we are, uh, role models to the young men and young women uh, that we teach and coach. Um, so as you get through, as you're at South Lake Tahoe, you build it into a top program in the nation. And during that time, you were ranked in the top 10 nationally many years. You were state champions. You had several Division One players. You had some pros. You played against pros. Next to hard work, loyalty, and honesty, what type of offensive and defensive philosophy uh, how did you like to play? How how would you characterize the way your teams played during that run? Well, you know, just going back to what you said, first of all, there are no secrets in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that uh, before we get into that is uh, this whole thing's about uh, being able to be good with people. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a good people person, then you better have great players and win all the time. And then you can get away with a lot more than a lot of other people. There aren't many secrets. This game, uh, you can learn as much as you want. And, uh, you know, I go back to why you get into coaching. And the higher you go, you have to understand what you want in life. And the higher you go, if, if all you want is a profession, then you understand what you're going to sacrifice along the way. And a lot of it can be family. It could be raising your children. It could be enjoying life a little bit more. Uh, I've witnessed, I know in the college and the NBA level that there are guys that will get in there at uh, 7 or 6 a.m. and not leave till 10 at night. And it's a seven-day job and uh, a week. And uh, they'll go year-round. And uh, they really don't smell the roses. And they have really no family life. So, and it's really hard to have balance doing that. So you got to ask yourself what's really important because by the time you get older, you're going to look back and the game won't be around anymore to help you out. And you got to be, make sure you're with somebody and, 
and that you have a legacy that you can leave with. So, uh, you know, learning the game of basketball is not hard. Being a good person, developing relationships is a lot. You, you can learn the game. But, uh, you know, you, again, you got to know why you're in it. And uh, you got to understand what you want out of life. And if you want to just be one of those super CEOs, which is, happens in high school or in college and NBA, then you're going to pay a price for it one way or the other. Now, I'm, I got off the question. so I <laughs> That's okay. Offense and defense. How did you structure your team? How did you how did you decide the way to play? Because you had such great teams, and even people I talked to, even now, I was at an open gym with a guy, and I happened to talk about it. I was at Clovis West, and he said, "Oh, you know, we played against Tom Team when I was at so and so, and and those were that was the best high school team I had ever seen at the time, and this was maybe a month ago. A guy in Orange County, you know, who had played some other place in LA and played against your teams. How did you get that identity, and how did your team play, and how did you build that with your program?" I think it's important to figure out what you're going to emphasize. What you emphasize is what you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I've said this to our staff and uh, here at Stanford and my first hour of practice, and you know, this is our first half hour was fundamentals mm -hmm. and it was skill development. And I, I believe that if you build fundamentally sound players that everything else really falls into place. And second part of it was defense. So, you know, when we put somebody on the court, we try to have them where they are fundam fundamentally sound and very defensive minded. And they took pride in that. And that was our identity. And, uh, you know, you, you, when I was in Tahoe, we pressed uh, for, you know, a quarter of a cent, 25, 20, 25 years there. And, uh, full court man, double jump switch. And that's what we're known for along with our half court D and, but we're also very fundamentally sound. And then when we got to Clovis West, well, we played against a much higher caliber player mm -hmm. and uh, you know, where you couldn't, you know, and division one and oftentimes guards that would end up in the NBA and they weren't going to be flustered by us throwing anything at them. And so uh, we had a, I had to go ahead and, and modify our defensive philosophy into being a great half court team. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, a lot of uh, how you, what, what makes you who you are is what you emphasize. And I think that it's not just uh, skill development. It's not just defense, but also it comes down to how much you emphasize your culture day in and day out. Uh, you, you know, and that's something that you must work on every day. And ordinarily, mm -hmm. your culture can be defined by your best player, because mm -hmm. ordinarily, like it or not, you can be a horrible leader or a great leader, but they are going to emulate your culture. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you decide to put up with will be the bar. And then, and I, I think that's one of the biggest problems, uh, issues with coaching is accountability, because there's so much gray area. Mm -hmm. Back in the 50s, it was black and white. And you tell a kid to run through a wall and ran through a wall. And now, you know, uh, the way you address parents is you are kids. You almost have to assume their parents are standing right behind them and the principal and the superintendent and the athletic director right behind them. Mm -hmm. And everything has to be just right because we, as we go through the day and age, everything's becoming so much more liability issue wise. And so, you have to be very, very careful in how you address people. And you have to be professional and you have to pre, uh, teach, basically coach and teach with respect and dignity. And, and, you know, and that was a transition even for me as I came through because I was pretty hard nosed and you have to learn to be flexible. Uh, the day, this day and age, everything's uh, changing. Uh, so uh, as, as does your ex's nose. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is you, 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 your offensive and defensive philosophy um, was, was around your best players and what those players could do. You were able to shape and shift your team as far as the X's and O's on the floor to what they did. Um, you built your identity through hard work and consistency, and that kept your program going when you had the, the McDonald's All-Americans of the world and then when you had the regular high school kids of the world. Um, what I see, what I, you talked a little bit about skill development now. Our listeners might not know, when, when you or I are together, we ran a program from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. And so we taught fundamentals from kids as young as four and five years old, all the way up to 18-year-old seniors. And now you at the Division One level, at the highest level in college basketball, 
You have uh, guys going to the NBA and, and playing against pros and having pros on your team. What, how, explain the importance of skill development and what our coaches and listeners can take from uh, getting better in the gym or taking the time off or what's your thoughts on skill development are? First of all, when I, a lot of programs don't think they need it. And mm-hmm. if you look at the best coaches in the country and you know, they're guys that started the high school, junior high level, and they understand the importance of it. And the NBA does too. Uh, and uh, it's amazing when you can get players, how inept they are skill-wise and it all starts with their feet, you know, mm-hmm. their, their inability to uh, create a lead, uh, to jump, stop, pivot, step through, um, you know, the, uh, so much of that is, is just, is just their ability to have balance on the court. And then you get into, you know, uh, their ability to pass and to move without the ball and to have change of speed. Uh, all these things, uh, depending upon what program they came from, but, uh, these are things that play so much into their success. And I think one of the biggest mistakes oftentimes, at least in the college level, is made. They, they do skill development for one size fits all, and that can't be. Uh, it's it's got to be in tune to the individual. To have everybody shooting threes doesn't work because not everyone's going to be a three-point shooter. Uh, they might think they are, but they're not. And, so, and they're not taking game shots. And so it's really important to uh, throughout the course of the year to work on game shots to the specific players and have them come and accept their roles. You know, uh, you know, you know, just like in the NBA, you know, I, I think 80% of the offense is basically taken by 10 to 15% of the players. So mm-hmm. it's very important to define your a role. And, and that's really increasingly hard. When I started out coaching, I had 18, 20 guys on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> nowadays, it's hard to get that many guys uh, on the team to accept a role of not playing. And, and if they don't, then they want to do something else. So, uh, but skill development is something I think that if you don't do it, I, I, I just think you're cheating the kids. Mm-hmm. It, it, get, it can get hard sometimes in a year-round basketball program because, as you know, when you're playing games in the spring and the summer and the fall before the winter – you tend to get caught up sometimes on, you know, putting in your offense and putting in your defense because you have a game. And even though sure. in the long run, a game in the spring doesn't mean anything, but when you're standing on that sideline, it, it, you want to win that game. And so you don't want to be behind on those things. But one thing I've learned from you and what you're reiterating here is that the fundamentals uh, are, are the most important. And even though it, it might be beneficial for you to win a spring game to spend 20 more minutes on your half-court, deep, half-court offense, it might win that game. What's better is to spend more time dribble pass shooting, jump stops, pivots, those things, because those things will last you in the long run. Yeah. And, you know, uh, also, and I listen, I'm a huge advocate of playing because I think that's where you learn your decision-making and the best players are the best decision-makers. So you need to play. Uh, You need to play three on three, four on four, five on five. You need to play to make decisions. And that's when you really learn it. So they go hand in hand. But I think just playing without fundamentals is never going to make you a complete player. Right. Okay, so now, you know, you transitioned here to Stanford University and you get to play in the Pac-12. Right off the bat, coming from a high level of California high school basketball to the Pac-12, what were some of the differences that you noticed right away in in the level of play and the players, the coaching, et cetera? Well, the first year, I couldn't get over things. For one, we couldn't shoot our first year. I mean, we, we were just a horrible shooting team. And teams manned us. I mean, they, didn't, they even guarded us. And I'm thinking, man, if we're back in the track and uh, in close order. We're, we're up in, in Tahoe. I guarantee you, they'd have two guys planted in the key. I mean, and the, the, what my staff told me, these guys do what they do and they don't change. Well, that changed a lot this past year. I, I really have a lot of respect for all the coaches now at the conference because uh, if you're if you're if you can't space the court, your guy's going to be there gapping and, and double teaming. Mm-hmm. And but uh, the the level of play and the great players there are uh, is just unbelievable. And I know everybody in high school thinks they're going to be a Division One player, mm-hmm. and everybody in college thinks they're going to be an NBA player. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it's it's uh, and which are great lofty dreams at one point, but the realization and uh, the most important thing is uh, that uh, guys kids have to understand if they can be good at just one thing, they're going to be very successful. When you're looking to and you you now get to travel all over the country to look for uh, players to recruit for your level and your program. What do you look for in a player that you're recruiting? Well, there are a lot of things, but uh, first of all, uh, they got to have a strength. Mm -hmm. But before anything's said and done, you are who you can guard. Mm -hmm. So if they can't defend, they can't play. It's that simple. We've had guys that could shoot the heck out of it. We have guys who could do this and that, but if they can't defend, everybody in the court knows it. And all it is is an ISO on him. And the same thing you'll find at the NBA. I mean, it, it's, it's almost, it's a play called. As soon as he goes in, you have an automatic ISO on him and you, they know that he can't stop him. So if you can't defend, you're not going to make it. And the second part is you've got to have something you can do. If you can't space the court and you're a perimeter player, you're not going to be able to play. Uh, unless you do something unbelievable on the other end defensively or uh, whatever it might be. But uh, those are really two important attributes, and that is uh, being able to uh, defend and being able to space the court if you're a perimeter player. Then there is a lot of other intangibles, and characters one. If you're not a good – if you don't have a high character, then they're not going to bring you in to ruin the culture And Mm -hmm. uh, because you're a reflection of the team. And so uh, it's really important. And fortunately at Stanford, uh, when you get all kids that are uh, such great students and have the discipline and character to do everything they've done in their lives, that it is not an issue like at a lot of other places. And, you know, in high school, I've had kids from all different backgrounds. Uh, one thing I do tell our, uh, our coaches at Stanford, though, is what made me a great teacher, I, th- I think, in the game of basketball is being able to teach PE. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to motivate them every day, just like mm-hmm. your class when you go in and beg them to care. And and if you have games going on to want to win, and if you don't, you're going to make them run. And or uh, the girl that doesn't want to dress because there's a mile run mm-hmm. and the relationship you have to get with her or the kid in order to go ahead and get them to go ahead. So you learn to really motivate kids and build relationships so that maybe they could care more, they can perform better. And that is something that unless you're a teacher, it's really hard to duplicate or Google. You've got to apply it. I mean, there are serial learners, but many of those learners out there don't apply it and don't have the opportunity to apply it. And so you learn a lot of being a teacher and just watching you, you know, through your years when you came up and how you started with AAU and when you got in the classroom, how it transcended into how you, how you were able to use your voice and, and have a command and a confidence with your players. Yeah, and that was something that you told me. And I, I remember uh, Bob Burton, a good friend of yours, one of my other mentors, he told me how being a teacher made him such a better coach because you're right, you had to motivate kids. It's, it's easy to get most kids involved in basketball with your team. And even then you have to motivate from time to time. But it's right. a lot harder to get a kid to want to do their English homework or get them to right. want to, you know, read that chapter or run that mile or do those things. And in order to get that to work, you, you have to learn different strategies. And I think that's a great point. And most and, I, and I'm glad that you said that, that most of your most of the great coaches that you've seen at the college level started out as teachers. And it, it, it seems like it might be a disadvantage to to get into college and, or, or not ever have to teach a class and have to coach a team. So we're, we're yeah. at advantage with that. And I, I, I'm still try to, I try to mentor a lot of the people we have. And one is that when you do teach, you need to tell them why you're teaching it. Mm-hmm. You can't just go ahead and do a drill. You have to make it pertinent to understand this is going to make you better. And this is why. And then you got to show them how to do it. And then once you show them, you, you explain the why and the how and then you go ahead and you built a relationship, then you're going to have a pretty effective outcome. But uh, I've seen, I can't tell you how many people I've seen where they just do the drill with no why, no how, no relationship, and therefore there's going to be very minimal uh, output in that regard. So it's really important to understand that. And 
Teachers know that. Teachers know how to motivate. Teachers know how not to talk with the same tone all the time. But sometimes talk softly. Sometimes raise your voice. But and, and come in and come in every day with some energy because if you don't have it, they won't. Now, pros and cons. You spent the vast majority of your career, forty years, in high school business, and the last four or so now here at Stanford. What are some of the pros? Uh, what are some of the advantages to be in coaching in college versus coaching in high school? And then what are some of the disadvantages of coaching in college versus coaching in high school? Let's start off with the appreciation. Uh, I think that a lot of kids today, uh, especially in basketball, don't appreciate things as much as they used to. I remember back in time when you get them gear, they'd really get excited. Now mm-hmm. that still takes case. I mean, my daughter, I have uh, two daughters and a son that are all involved in coaching. One was at Long Beach and Cabrillo, and she got them gear, and they just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at Stanford, and we'll be taking them out to steak dinner every night, and, and they're getting all kinds of gear every day. And the appreciating level isn't quite as high mm-hmm. it, because it's just expected. You know, uh, I used to take my teams on trips all the year all around the world in Tahoe, and we did even at Clovis West. But then it got to a point where these kids were also flying back to the East Coast, getting free gear, free shoes, free meals, and the appreciation level wasn't as great. So, you know, the appreciation level, I think it's really important to incorporate that into whatever you're teaching and make sure kids understand that sooner or later, the train stops, you're going to get off. You're not going to get that buffet dinner. You're not going to get those free shoes. You're going to have to go out and earn it. And at Stanford, how they're treated is unbelievable. You know, we have charter flights. We're at five-star hotels. We have steak dinner. I mean, they eat so much. I had a, I, for me, when I go on the road, it's like being on a ship cruise. You know, I, <laughs> if, you, if you try to eat everything you do, you add 20 pounds. So I have to go ahead. And I go on diets when we go on the trips. Mm-hmm. But, and that's the difference is, you know, when you're in, you don't have the budget that you would have at the next level. And so uh, that's certainly one of them. And the other is, is that you're not going to outcoach anybody. Everybody's a great coach. You have no secrets. And uh, it comes down to players. And well, let me tell you this, that there isn't a Hall of Fame coach that hasn't had great players. Right. I mean, every great coach has had great players. And I think there's a lot of great coaches out there that haven't won a title or this or that and are, are great coaches. I always felt that my best years coaching were with my teams that weren't very good. And you have to scrap and scrape for everything to getting a shot, to limiting turnovers, to getting stops, to getting a rebound. You work so hard versus another team that can have their whole offense go down and a guy ISO and just hit a 20 footer or 30 footer. I mean, mm-hmm. so uh, pl- getting players is, is, is so much of it. So, you know, there, there's some big differences there that it comes down to getting players. Um, right now we're in a, in a unique time in our, in our world's history with the quarantine. And before you and I got on, you were on with your team. Uh, what, what is Stanford? You've talked about some of the privilege and you and I have talked about this earlier. What is Stanford basketball doing right now that some of our listeners might be able to hear and maybe incorporate with their teams? What are you guys doing with your players? Well, First of all, I think we're doing a lot what almost everybody across the country is. You know, you'll, you'll have some – you have contact every week through Zoom. And the other part is, is that uh, our coaches have taken time, or our head coach, breaking down some of the clips, trying to teach them things they did from film clips. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, individual workouts. I made up a, a workout program for just shooting. I thought, what a great opportunity – for somebody that didn't have a basket and didn't, and all they had was a ball and to go out and just work on your form shooting. Yeah. Just work on form shooting, getting an X up on the board and working over and over and over from different, from different spots and hitting that X and reinforcing your form shot. Cause I, you know, you, you look at any great uh, shooting instructor and it all starts in close. And uh, so I think that that's another thing that they can do. The other thing is that uh, we'll have a guest speaker every week. And, uh, you know, I told you, you know, we had Jeff Van Gundy. Um, we uh, have Condoleezza Rice Friday. We wow. have Steph Curry the following Friday. Um, and so we've, we've had some, uh, some very uh, uh, 
really interesting people where they're on for 30 to 45 minutes. And it's really all they do is a Q&A. It's a Q&A. Well, that, that, that definitely speaks to the uh, big time of your, of your program and where you guys are at, that you get to have those type of guys speak to you. Um, now, we have one, one of the greatest things in, in your career, and you've talked about this many times, is that you've been coaching for 40-plus years, and you've never been fired. Um, give, me, give, our, give us and me, our listeners, some advice on how is it – you've touched on it a little bit before, but how is it that you can coach for 45 years – and never be never be asked to go, never be let go, never be fired in your career. And that's a great question. And uh, you know, all, there's a lot of variables. One is you got to be lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is that if you're winning, that enhances your chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have good players and you're winning, uh, the next factor is is building relationships with your athletic director and your principal and your administration and your superintendent in the district office. And not just having a great relationship with them by communicating with them, but letting them, uh, having them see you in a light every single day where you're professional and that you work hard and that you're investing everything in the kids. So they, there's a, there's a respect there for you. Even if they may not like you, they respect your work ethic, they respect your professionalism, and they respect that you're trying to help others. And that really goes a long ways. And that hits about 90% where it's always going to be in your favor. And then another important point is that if there's ever an issue or a problem, man, you got to notify your AD and your principal before it comes to them. Mm -hmm. They got to know ahead of time so that they're not blindsided. And that you're keeping them in the loop. You may tell them, hey, listen, so-and-so parent is really upset. Their son isn't playing a lot. You don't have to do anything. I just wanted to make you aware of it in case it ever came across. I'm going to handle it. And hopefully it never gets to you, but I want you to know. And I think they'd appreciate that. And then they're ready for it. And then if they get a phone call, they may not answer. You know, because they know what's going to And The other part is that if a parent calls, sometimes it's great to have a 24 to 48-hour cooling period so that when they're really upset hold them off for a day or two they kind of calm down a little bit and then uh and i i think those go a long way but uh i really think the relationships you build and the other part too is that every decade that goes by uh more and more is demanded of you and your professionalism i mean back in the Back in the 70s, it wasn't nearly what it is today. <laughs> I mean, you could put your hand on a kid and, and you know, and this and that. And, man, you can't, you can't even do that anymore, let alone talk to them and your tone or whatever. So it's very, very important that, again, that when you're talking to somebody, you're professional. Uh, what you say to them is what you would say to them if their parent or the administrator were standing behind them. And then I think it's really important to treat them with respect and, and to keep your cool. And it's really easy uh, every, every so often where somebody will say something and it's really easy to go ahead and you can't let the kid know that he gets to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's real. And we all have it. I think every teacher has that one class where it has it one year where they have that one kid that if they don't come to school, it makes their day. <laughs> and the class is great. And unfortunately, it's that one kid that comes to school every single day and rarely misses. But uh, those are the ones you got to really deal with. And I I think that's really important. And I think that uh, relationships, not just with the players, but with the administration is really important so that you're all working together. One of the things that I learned from you, and you've said it a couple of times now, and I do this, and this is one of my fundamentals, is... Every time with every text message, every phone call, every email, every conversation, I picture in my mind that the principal, athletic director, superintendent is either attached to that or on the other line listening as well. And it just, not that I would say anything if they weren't or if I didn't have that, but just understanding that everything that you can be said can and would be repeated to your principal and many times out of context. And that can get you in, in, in deep water. So having that protects you relationships. I think a lot of walk-on coaches would be, would be uh, good to hear that, you know, even if you're not on campus, 
you know, it, it's, it, it behooves you to go into the principal's office and shake their hand every couple of days and ask them how they're doing and just build those relationships because no question. Yes. If you don't have those and, and, uh, and stuff gets, it stuff gets tough, you know, they're, they're less likely to side with you. And, and so building that is, is a really good, really good advice on how to keep your job because, you know, we are seemingly, you know, recorded and, and litigated and, and, you know, everything we say or do could be used against us, unfortunately. And that certainly has changed. Um, one of the, uh, one of the things, one of the things that you're known for in your coaching career is your ability to run an elite uh, kids camp. Um, you've done it all over the country. Uh, you've, you've, you've taught other coaches and shared your, your, uh, your ways with other coaches and how to run it. You run several camps. How many camps up to Stanford? Seven or six? I think we run seven. Yeah. Seven camps up there. What are some secrets? Because camp is still a huge part of the basketball culture and your program's culture. What are some, what are some tips and, and secrets and things that you've learned about running camps for the past 45 years? Well, you know, uh, I ran camps at uh, three different sites. One is South Tahoe, the other is Clovis West, and then here at Stanford. And uh, South Tahoe was very unique. Um, we were one of the few camps in the state, uh, and so we would pack them in. I mean, we'd bring in, uh, you know, 150 kids, and uh, I would bring up co- the some of the coaches that are still coaching today and some legends that did, and uh, – uh, college coaches, high school coaches. Uh, you know, there are some kids that came to camp that were actually head coaches now in division one now. Hmm. And, uh, you know, like Rob Eason, who was at university of Alabama, Birmingham, he, he was in my camp had a okay. And, uh, I think Aaron Rodgers came from Chico. I mean, I, we had kids from everywhere, but we brought them in because of a unique situation. That was before AAU. So we'd get all the best players. It'd be very intense. Uh, we had an opportunity where we didn't pay the coaches. Everything was paid for in town from the lodging to the night shows, uh, to the golf at Edgewood, uh, everything. And so, uh, even the shirts were donated by the shirt companies. So we're, it, it was an opera, it was a gold mine. And, uh, then we got to Clovis West. It was more of a, uh, low key. It was it really, it was a fundraiser. It was a way to keep our kids, uh, uh, at the school and to teach them more basketball and get them to be better players and also an opportunity for them to have fun and, and get a little more enthusiastic about the game. Then we got to Stanford. Uh, God, you know, I just last year was our first year we did a team camp. So we brought in teams and we made a number of offers and to kids, but we had some of the best teams in the state, in fact, uh, all over the country. And then uh, we have a high potential camp, which is more geared for high school kids and it's overnight. Then we have three day camps, which is kind of more like daycare, but it's 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 really first grade through uh, seventh grade, <clears throat> and uh, that's kind of just to get them motivated. But it's a cold, different type of mentality. And then we have an elite camp where we bring in all the top players across the country, and so we have a spectrum of all different camps. But really, what it comes down to is, I think most coaches run it because uh, they want to make some money for the program. And so it's really important to market it correctly and really get out there and beat the bushes. And I think that, uh, you know, being able to uh, bring in kids and, and from your district is really, really important, especially if they're going to come through your program Two is to make sure they have fun. And uh, if they don't have fun, then they're not going to come back. And if they don't have fun, uh, then uh, your numbers are going to go down and uh, they're probably not going to pursue the game. And thirdly is you want them to walk out of the gym, a better player. Uh, I think that uh, the camps can be very, very fun to uh, helping your coaches develop themselves professionally. And uh, there's a lot of coaches out there that have promoted themselves uh, in jobs by working camps. And uh, I, I actually wrote my thesis on the organization development of a high school camp for my master's at University of Nevada, Reno back in, I think, 1980. Hmm. So uh, it all started back then. But uh but I, I was able to start out in a camp with Dick Edwards at Cal, uh, and uh, I really learned the basics. And back then, it was all fundamentals, and uh, that's what they taught. And that's how I got my format. And don't ever omit competition at your camp because that's what the kids want. Mm-hmm. If you ever ask the kids nine times out of ten, other than the concession stand, <laughs> it's going to be they love playing. 
So, uh, and you got to have a great concession stand because that's the way to make a little extra money too. I think that's great. I mean, uh, developing kids and also developing coaches uh, is a great plus for running a camp. And yes, uh, you know, it, it is used to pay coaches and help the program. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but having the kids get better and have fun uh, and work on the fundamentals are, are great staples in running any camp. Uh, so I appreciate that advice. We appreciate that advice. Um, you talked about this before you've been now in the, in the game for 40 years. How has the game changed from when you started to what you're looking at now at the highest level of college basketball? Well, the game's changed a lot just in the last few years. You know, mm -hmm. you, you know, there was a time when the post player was so important. And uh, you look back in the NBA with all the great post players from Akeem Olajuwon and, you know, uh, uh, Abdul-Jabbar and, you know, on and on and on, all the great post players. And now uh, you saw how the Warriors kind of transcended that, became space and the Houston Rockets and how many threes are getting up during the course of the game and how important it is to be able to shoot the ball and uh, how important it is to be able to handle the ball. Uh, you know, coaches these days, you, you want guys that can be able to dribble, pass and shoot. And uh, so the game's changed a lot because back in the eighties and you even look in the NBA, everything was off screens and shooting contested twos, contested twos post game. And then uh, with the advent of the three-point shot, it's, it's changed quite a bit. And, uh, you know, and I, I think the game's becoming more guard-oriented. And uh, it's really hard. It's really hard even in high school to find a, a, a five-man or a post-man that doesn't want to shoot threes. And so, it's, it, you know, it's hard to get a, a, to sell a kid to play with their back to the basket. And so uh, the game's changed a lot in that respect. And, I think it's changed a lot too in the way you teach. I think now you have to teach in bullet points uh, just with the social media, everything's in bullet points and that's the way they learn. So you have to be flexible enough to not have paragraph answers. They can be short and they got to be to the point and you can't talk too long. Then you move on, then more bullet points. So I think that's really important. I think that you have to make the teaching conducive to why it's going to benefit them because now we're in a day and age where it's more business and everything is how am I going to be a better player and it's changing from where the team was first and they were second uh, you know you, you can tell kids you got to care more about the team and then yourself well that just isn't reality anymore uh, kids want to kids want to go ahead and perform and even if you win a big game it's very few that will sit in that locker room if you win a game by one and they stunk it up and somebody else played well for them to feel good. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think that, uh, and the, the appreciation level, I think has changed. I think kids were much more appreciative. Now I think they still, uh, I, I think kids still demand discipline. I think they want it. They need it. I think that they're, that they still uh, really love the game. And I think that's important, but I think it's harder to teach in some respects when you talk about culture, how many people are in their head, uh, especially when you get a good player. There's AU coaches, there's their workout coach, there's their mother and father, uh, and then there's you. And, and there's so many different voices that are trying to get into them that it's hard to resonate your message with them. Where long, long time ago, it was just the head coach and he was the guy. And it's tough to change opinions when they're getting bombarded every morning at the breakfast table by their mother or their father or both uh, about if you're a bad coach and then you have to come and convince them about culture. Um, for now, you one of the things I always admired about you is you were always looking to develop yourself professionally. You were always looking at the next video at the next play, at the next website. I mean, every time you draw down plays in your office, always looking to develop professionally. What are some ways now, uh, what are some vehicles that you're using now to get better and to learn more about the game? Well, you know, the game's a lot different on the college level from the high school and the NBA level is a lot different than the college level. Mm -hmm. But uh, I learned uh, so much uh, now, you know, just watching, you know, watching, I developed our offense 
by defending. You know, and what can't we defend and why? And, you know, like for the two toughest screens, I think, to defend oftentimes in just in a flow of action uh, <clears throat> might be a flare screen, back screen. Mm-hmm. And so I'd implement that. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, I know there's a lot of dribble drive out there, but really, if you go against guys that can stay in front of the ball, then what are you going to do? Uh, if you go, if you try to run a four out and two of your guys can't shoot, what are you going to do? So you got to move it. You got to learn. And I, I've learned uh, a lot of different ISO ways to get into an isolation. Uh, I've learned, uh, you know, just going out. I remember we took a trip back to the Ivy and, uh, you know, we saw Columbia and Princeton and uh, Penn. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly I think that when you do an offense, uh, there's always, I think you have to have two or three different sets. You know, it, it could be a open space set with four or five out. It could be a chin set with a Princeton set. And I think you learn that by having different things that might work against different teams and a different portion of the game. But the old days, you just had to go and talk to somebody and take down notes. And now you can Google and watch game films so easily that and you can do podcasts now. You can do uh, YouTube. Uh, there's just so much information out there uh, that uh, you're never going to be lack of information. What it comes down to is uh, is really just really. I think the biggest mistake uh, young coaches make is they want to learn about stuff, but they don't apply it. You learn culture, but you really don't apply it. You just know what it is. You know the definition until you're in charge and uh, you learn plays, but you don't understand or learn or really have the, the, the uh, motivation to learn about skill development. And I really think that skill development is one of the areas from learning aspect that's really overlooked by young coaches today. Um, who are some coaches now that you, that you uh, like to watch that you will look at their tapes and, or if they're, you know, a drill with their name on it comes across your email. Who are some people that you really look up to and think are doing a great job for the game right now? Well, I'll tell you, Beeline is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beeline, uh, you know, he coached at high school and junior high, and I've listened to him in person. I went back and uh, sat down with him uh, and his staff for a weekend. Uh, I followed him. Uh, I've, I've hooked up with him last summer and the summer before. Uh, and, uh, uh, one thing I like about him is, uh, a lot of these old time coaching and Thad Boyle too, out of Colorado, these guys coach high school, they, they hammer home fundamentals. They know how to teach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to my first clinic, it was Bob Boyd from USC and all they talked about is fundamentals and, um, and the game's gotten away with that, but that's what I like about it. And obviously you can see I'm a huge advocate of being able to teach how to, dribble pass shoot and move without the ball and things like that and defend and I you know another thing about changing the game is uh how the game's changes closeouts mm-hmm. you know the old days used to be you chop your feet you put both hands up and that just doesn't cut it anymore uh you'll never see that in the NBA game hmm. and uh you know I, I uh two years ago I went down I, I sat down with every single member of the San Antonio Spurs organization and had an individual meeting with him from the intern to the film guy to the uh, ops uh, to the uh, assistant coaches to the general manager to pop himself. And one thing I learned was the toughest habit they have to break is closeouts. You can't chop your feet. You got to run out there. You got to get a hand up and you got to get them off that line. And, uh, because that's that's the most important thing. And then if they drive, they drive. Now, if you can run out there and stay low and stay in front, what you want to do is go ahead and create some space so you have a hand up, but you have that space on that on that rip drive. But uh, that's another huge aspect that's changed in the game, and that's the defensive closeout. And uh, uh, and learning that was just by going and watching uh, the NBA teams because it still has yet to trickle down a lot to the many of the college teams mm-hmm. and the NBA seems to be ahead of the curve in everything and including analytics, you know, which can be overboard a little bit at time, but analytics has played a huge part of our game too, which has probably been one of the big changes of the game too. Uh, 
although uh, they say, you know, the best three shots are going to be the, going to be the layup, the foul shot and the three. And uh, yet you go to an NBA game and I, most of these guys are taking contested twos despite all the analytics. But I mean, how can you tell Clay Thompson not to take a contested two when he shoots 60 or 70, 80% from that or Kevin Durant or, you know, some of these guys, but uh, you know, uh, that's another big change in the game, but Bo Ryan was another great coach that I really enjoyed learning to. And his big thing was not fouling and he really emphasized it. And so what you emphasize comes to realization. That's what occurred with his Wisconsin teams. Mm-hmm. And there's, they still do a great job of that. And so, uh, and uh, Patino, there's a lot of things I don't like about him, but he's a great teacher of the game. And uh, I, I really like going back and watching the things, how he taught the game. Last thing before I let you go, um, and this whole podcast has been advice for coaches, but advice, what, what is some of your advice for young coaches and coaches at any level uh, about being in this game and, and, and having the type of career and longevity that you've enjoyed? Well, you know, it goes back to you got to ask yourself why you're in it. And the other thing that I would really advise is make sure that you have balance in life. You know, um, Danny Ainge came and spoke to our camp. I remember back up in Tahoe when he was a player for the Celtics. And he said that, you know, uh, you need to have balance and, you know, you need to have a, a family side. You, you need to have your work side. You need to have a spiritual side and whatever it might be. But balance is very important that you're not so all consumed in one thing that you, you miss out. We're, we're only on this earth for just so long. And, it, you know, and to consume yourself with film clips and organizational details and not relationships and people uh, is, is really important. So make sure that if you get in the profession that you have balance and uh, you, you know, you, you do things outside of the profession and, uh, and higher isn't always better. You know, uh, Bill Berry, who was one of my mentors uh, when I was at Cal, he was the head coach of the JV team and I was the assistant, but he ended up with the Houston Rockets and now he's retired. But he said, the higher you go, the less fun you have. Hmm. And uh, there's more pressure. Uh, the hours are longer. Uh, there's less family time. Uh, and, you know, uh, even at this level, uh, we, would, we could go 21 to 28 days without a day off. And, uh, you know, we'd go Monday through Sunday and Sunday could be a game and we'd be playing on at five o'clock and fly home and go to work at seven in the morning. And uh, we, we might have three or four Sunday games. So, I mean, so there's times when you don't have any time off. So I think you have to understand why you get into it, have balance in life. And, uh, most of all, if you don't enjoy it, then you shouldn't be in it. You've got to really have a passion for it. Well, Coach, uh, that was terrific. Um, I really appreciate you being here and taking your time. I mean, even during this quarantine, I know you're a busy man. And I appreciate you taking this time out uh, to uh, meet with me and to give some of your advice to, uh, to our viewers here. Well, it's fun to talk about basketball. And it was fun getting together with you, and I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Stay safe. You too. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksonato at ymail.com. See you next time. Y'all already know who it is. It's your boy Loso, man. And y'all listen to the number one sports podcast out, MTMV Sports. Y'all see it.